Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today we're getting into the new service for registering your car online in Germany and why that may be a bureaucratic nightmare. We're explaining why the German government is planning to cut access for higher earners to a parental leave allowance called Elterngeld. With the skilled immigration law reform set to come into force in Germany, we'll be discussing the first changes, which mainly involve the EU blue card. Oktoberfest is starting this week. We talk about how important this festival is to Germany and hear from a brewing expert on German beer culture. And lastly, we'll be sharing some regional delicacies from around Germany that you should try or avoid, depending on your taste. I'm Rachel Loxton, and I'm in Berlin today with the fabulous journalists Rachel Stern and Sarah McGill. Hello to both of you. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Rach. Good to be back. Yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday, September 13th. It's your first time back in the booth after summer. How's it all going? Well, yeah, it's great to be back. It still feels like summer, actually, in Berlin. We've had a week of temperatures over 30 degrees so still enjoying swimming outside which I think is a first in in the second week of September. Yeah absolutely I'm enjoying the long summer as well. I was just at an outdoor swimming pool the other day. A lot of them have been extended in terms of their um, opening hours so yeah I'm happy um, that we're getting a little bit more summer even if not for climate change. (laughs) Yeah definitely. Well it's lovely to have you both back here today and I'm excited to talk about all these different topics. (laughs) But before we get into our discussion, please consider supporting us by becoming a member of The Local. We are an independent media outlet and your support is what allows us to produce the news and all of the cultural background and practical explainer articles that we talk about on this podcast. If you'd like to join, you can find a link to a special offer for podcast listeners in the show notes, or you can access it directly at thelocal.de slash podcast offer. One thing Germany is not known for is allowing people to do things online, but the tide is changing and some services have or are becoming easier to do online without the need to post something off or go to an office. The latest news is that people can now register their car online in Germany, at least theoretically. In typical Bundesrepublik style, it's not actually working properly in some places, at least so far. Sarah, can you tell us about this new service and how it should work in practice? Yes, gladly. So if you buy a car in Germany, before you're able to drive it, it has to be registered or zugelassen. And until now, you had to do this at an in-person appointment at the car registration office. But as of the 1st of September, as per Germany's new vehicle registration ordinance, this service has now moved online. 
which means you should now be able to go onto your state's car registration website, enter all your details and immediately get a temporary registration certificate, which you can then drive your car with while you wait for the official documents to come through per post, which is really great because it means that you can start driving your car straight away, whereas previously you had to wait to get an appointment, which can can be difficult, especially in Berlin. Yeah, that's a really big change. Does everyone have to register a car in Germany, Seda? So the general rule is yes, everyone does have to register their car in Germany. If you're a visiting tourist or a resident with a foreign car, you don't have to register the car for the first six months as long as you have all of your insurance documents and if the car is registered elsewhere in the EU. For cars outside the EU, such as the UK, you might need to pay import duties and tax on the car that you're driving here. But if you are a resident and you buy a new car or buy a second-hand car, or if you just move to a different state, you need to have a new registration document for which you need to register now, apparently, online. Really good to know. So, Sarah, you are a resident driving expert on Germany in focus. You've talked us through your experience of learning to drive in Germany back in an episode released in February this year. So, naturally, you're going to tell us about this new online service after trying it. And I believe it gets the thumbs down. It most certainly does. Um, (laughs) I've had a horrible experience over the last couple of days trying to use the new online registration site for Berlin. My fiancé and I, we bought a car last week, which I really need to use next week to drive to a remote place in northern Germany for work. And we got all of the documents we needed to register online as per the local explainer written by me last week. But after an hour or so of trying to enter all the information on the online form and checking and triple checking, I kept getting the same error message. So I had numerous telephone conversations with the customer service team for car registration in Berlin. And they were, I have to say, all very nice and very helpful, but they were not able to help me with the technical side of things. So the only thing they could do was offer me an appointment in two weeks, which was a no-go for me because I, I really need the car next week. The other infuriating point was I asked if it would be quicker if I pay for an appointment through an external business because there are certain businesses that buy up a lot of appointments in advance and then mm-hmm. you can pay them 50 euros or something and get an appointment in the next few days. But they told me that it was unlikely that one of these businesses would accept me now because I had already scratched off the security codes of the registration documents and they would then say these were invalid. So I'd only done that because I needed that to enter it online, but the online website didn't work. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so <laughs> I, it was it was like after... I think I had about seven conversations with people in the end, wasted at least half a day. I wrote a really long email to the head of the car registration service in Berlin. I found his name and email address after a bit of research online, complained to him and said why, you know, you should not announce that a service is online if it doesn't properly function yet. Mm -hmm. Then it's just not an online service. I'm still waiting for a response to my questions, but amazingly, I got a call from the registration office this morning offering me an appointment as if by magic tomorrow. And I asked, how is it possible? And they told me that they'd been asked internally to find one because of my complaint. So it goes to show that if you you stick to your guns, if you really kick up a fuss, then maybe you might get somewhere. But honest to God, it was a nightmare. Like what should have been a very simple half an hour filling in an online form turned into like six hours of extreme stress. 
Yeah. I mean, Sarah, seriously, well done to you for really taking matters into your own hands and sending a complaint letter. That could be the way to go. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I really learned a lesson myself through that. That I mean, I was just so angry that I thought this this just can't be right. So, yeah, I, I, I really took the time to for also find the person who was in charge and their email, direct email address. Yeah. Um, hold, hold them accountable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I, I feel like I've been in a, in a war, like in the last couple of days, honestly, it was so stressful. So, and I, my advice is not only to try and, you know, if you have a complaint, make sure you, you make it, but also if it's announced that a service is now online in Germany, maybe take that with a pinch of salt and still make a backup appointment because it may be the case that actually online, it's not going to work. That is such good advice. And one thing to remember as well is that it differs in every state, right? So who knows what's going on elsewhere? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. Perhaps in Bayern, the website is functioning perfectly. Maybe in Saarland, you can't even get onto the website. I don't know. I only know what happened in Berlin and I know that it's it's not it's not up to scratch yet. Thank you so much for that, Sarah. And we will include links to the stories you've been writing about this so people can read a bit more into it. Okay, let's move on. The German government is planning to reduce the entitlement of a parental leave allowance for higher earners called Elterngeld from 2024, which will mean that couples who earn €150,000 or more per year combined won't get it anymore. It's part of a series of budget cuts that Germany is making to save money after lots of spending in the last years, especially during the COVID pandemic. Rachel, can you tell us more about what's happening? Sure, Rach. So previously, couples in Germany with a joint income of 300,000 euros or single parents earning 250,000 euros could apply for what's known as Altengeld or parental allowance. And what confuses people is that Altengeld isn't Altenzeit. So Altenzeit is basically parental leave or the time that you're able to take, um, which can be up to three years after the birth of a child. And that differs um, completely from Altenged, which is the allowance you apply for that takes place within that period of leave. And so couples can receive up to 14 months of paid leave um, split among themselves, and they can receive up to 65% of their income capped at 1800 per month. And so now as part of these budget cuts that you were just talking about, that amount that basically the cutoff amount of 300000 is now being cut in half. So both couples and single parents with a taxable income of um, 150000 will no longer qualify for Altengeld. And to qualify that reach, that's a taxable income. So it means that you could even have a higher income than that, but be able to take, you know, tax allowances, income-related expenses, pension expenses, um, et cetera. And it's just that 150000 which is the cutoff. But still, it has a lot of higher-earning couples up in arms that when they take parental leave, they'll no longer qualify for any parental allowance at all. Do we know how many people would be affected? Yeah, so the German government has estimated that this will affect about 60,000 families in Germany, so still a very small minority of all families. 
Okay, and you mentioned that people are up in arms about it. What is the reaction? Yeah, so within politics itself, it's a really mixed bag. Um, Germany's family minister has said that she regrets making the cut, but that she finds it really necessary also to make sure that there's enough money available for lower earners. But a lot of politicians, especially from the Christian Democrats, have called it a slap in the face for working women and that it de-incentivizes working um, women from, you know, having the full-time positions that they do, which push them as a couple over this 150,000 mark. What have the people affected said about it as well? So I'm part of this international families group in Berlin. And there's also been a very heated debate there with um, women saying, you know, I've worked hard for several years. And I feel like, you know, as the top tier of taxpayers in German society, that it's a very disrespectful move. And some of the women have said that they're looking at reducing their working hours to um, still be able to qualify for the allowance. Really interesting. And there is a petition set up as well, right? Yeah, there was a petition which gathered several hundred thousand signatures to try to stop this move from being made. But ultimately, it does look as though the government is going to vote on it um, in September. Can we also recap on the financial support that couples and women get in Germany after a baby and how Elterngeld fits into that? That's a good question. All parents in Germany qualify for what's known as Kindergeld or a child allowance after the birth of a child. And that's 250 euros per month per child. And that's also an amount that was just raised this year. And on top of that, there's also a number of benefits for mothers. For example, there's the Mutterschutz, um, basically the maternal protection, which is unrelated to the parental leave. And that's basically the six weeks before the birth of a child and two months afterwards where um, women, at least those who are employed in Germany, um, receive 100% of their salary. And then also lower earners can apply for several additional benefits in addition to the Kindergeld. And, you know, that's not to mention all of the tax benefits for child care expenses and um, free child care from the age of one that um, all parents in Germany are entitled to. And we should mention as well that the Elterngeld is what you can apply for from the government, but some companies could offer their own kind of uh, parental allowance, right? That's right. So particularly some larger companies in Germany will offer a few months of paid leave regardless of what the German government is offering. And there are also companies who um, will basically one up the 65% um, of a salary that somebody who's on parental leave receives. Yeah, so if you are just getting, quote unquote, just getting 1800 per month, then the company can match that so that you're getting your full salary while you're on leave. So apart from the people who are affected, obviously being very upset about this, What is the general feeling elsewhere in the population? Because we had been talking about the the median salary in Germany. It's around 44,000 euros per year, which is significantly less than kind of the amounts that we're talking about here. Yeah, that's a good question. So a 
survey, which was commissioned by the Opinion Research Institute, CIVI, uh, actually said that a two-thirds majority of Germans agree with capping the parental allowance. But even just from this group I'm a part of, it's a really heated debate and a really mixed bag of reactions with um, people who are earning much lower saying, you know, it's more than possible to save up if you're such a high earner and we don't see what you're complaining about here. And then higher earners also like to point out, yes, it's true that maybe I could set this money aside, but being such a high taxpayer, I should also be entitled to this benefit. And, you know, a lot of politicians have pointed out that Edten Geld was introduced in 2007 as an incentive for more working women and those who are in more professional and academic fields to have children in the first place because Germany um, had a particularly low birth rate and they thought that having this financial incentive was a way to encourage more women to have children and just to show that they receive a greater amount of support. So that's kind of reflected the sentiments that I've heard. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads heard um, kind of casually and within this group that I mentioned where people say, yeah, but why am I being left behind? And they just don't understand why they're also not entitled to the same benefits that everybody else is. Do we know anything else about the planned budget cuts? Like what other kind of things are being cut or where money is being directed? Yeah. So funding for climate policy is unfortunately going to be cut by about 6% all in all. And the government had also planned to invest about $45 billion into the state-owned Deutsche Bahn, but it said that it will only fund it as much as is feasible. Um, and then also government subsidies for statutory health insurance are going to be lower than in 2023, meaning that people will have higher contributions themselves. And a lot of these cuts are also to make room for a higher military budget. So for years, Germany has been criticized that it isn't meeting the 2% mark in NATO, and it always had excuses. And then unfortunately, the war in Ukraine started in 2022, and it scrambled to um, have more funding. And so for the very first time um, in 2024, it is indeed planning to meet that 2% mark. But in order to do so, it's having to make other cuts. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. 
Let's get into some of the skilled immigration law changes now because it's all been passed and is going to become a reality. As we've talked about before, Germany is doing a big overhaul of immigration laws to attract more skilled workers from abroad and get more people into the workforce, paying into tax and social security, all of that. And the big news is that it starts to come into force in November, which isn't very far away. Sarah, what are the first changes that we're going to see and who is affected by them? So the first changes that are going to come into effect are those related to blue cards, which is a very popular route for workers from non-EU countries wanting to work in Europe. The new guidelines for EU blue card holders, which are included in the Skilled Immigration Act, have to be implemented by November the 19th under EU law. So this means that people applying for an EU blue card after this date can take advantage of the relaxed rules, including a drastic reduction in the salary threshold to 3,500 gross per month. And it will also be easier for people working in the IT sector as career experience or skills can be accepted for a blue card without having to have a university degree. Another point that I found interesting is that from November, the link between qualifications and jobs will be eased a bit, meaning that people are not restricted to the jobs they are trained for. Is that correct? Yeah, as far as we understand so far, yes. Um, It's not entirely clear what that means. But as far as we know from November, the current restriction that people can only get a job in the same area of their professional qualification, so degree or vocational qualification, will be relaxed. So they won't necessarily have to work in the area that they've got their degree in unless they work in one of the regulated sectors, for example, as a doctor or a nurse or as a teacher. This is just one part of it. There's a lot more coming next year when it comes to immigration law changes, right? Yeah, there's a lot of changes coming up. Uh, We'll be seeing the new Opportunity Card, a points-based visa coming into force. Skilled workers will be able to enter Germany and then carry out the recognition procedures for their qualifications while they're here. The rules around working as a student will be relaxed and foreigners with certain types of residence permit will be able to bring their parents and step-parents to Germany. And these changes are all expected to come in around next March. Good stuff. Thanks for that, Sarah. We will definitely talk more about all of these things in another episode. I do have to say that some of it is quite confusing. So we're trying to figure it all out and get in touch with the German government and get some clarity on stuff. For example, the qualifications being eased is a little bit confusing at this stage. Yeah. And another thing I would say, given my experience with the with the online driving registration, I would say don't hold your breath and expect that everything is going to start working straight away in mid-November. I would maybe be a bit have a bit of patience. That is a good point. Yeah. German bureaucracy has a tendency to function at a snail's pace. So be prepared. (laughs) So true. The annual and much-loved beer festival, Oktoberfest, is returning to Munich on Saturday, September 16th. So I think we should have a little chat about it. And we'll hear from a beer expert soon to hear more about beer culture in Germany. But first, Rachel, how important is Oktoberfest to Germany? From a business perspective, it's quite important as it brings in about 1.2 billion euros in revenue each year. Um, Not to mention, it's also Europe's largest folk festival and a more positive, joyous image of Germany that's known all around the world and, of course, has a lot of spinoff events. So even if Germans themselves um, won't be visiting, they all know about the festival and recognize it as an important symbol or one of the important symbols of Germany. 
I have to say that I haven't been to Oktoberfest, but I did visit Munich earlier this year and I absolutely loved the beer halls. I thought they were really cool. There was a nice feel to them. It felt very social, like I could just sit there and drink beer all day and eat a ton of carbs. Is that Oktoberfest? Yes and no. So I have to admit that I have been to the festival twice, once with a friend visiting from California who wanted, quote unquote, the German experience. And mm-hmm. so we traveled down to Munich and we didn't have a reservation at one of these beer tents, which you usually have to reserve months in advance. So funny enough, we spent spent the whole Oktoberfest in a wine tent, which actually exists. Um, But it was also pretty fun sipping regional wine and just visiting the festival itself, which has a lot of different rides. It has a variety show. Um, There's a lot of after parties in the area, too, where people even go in their traditional attire. Um, And I should say that the second time around, I did make a reservation um, months in advance for the beer tent. And yeah, it was, of course, a lot of people sitting around drinking beer, but there was also um, singing and dancing and a very festive atmosphere. So I don't think I'll return a third time, but I am glad for those two experiences. Oh, nice. Do we have to wear traditional costumes like Lederhosen if we go... Yeah, so if something like a dienda or, you know, these funny leather pants aren't your thing, then you don't have to. Um, After the post-war period, more and more Germans started to go in casual attire like jeans and a t-shirt. But in the mid-1990s, Munich's mayor actually called for more people to go in traditional costumes and it started to become fashionable again. And now in the outskirts of the fairground, you'll see tons and tons of stands um, selling the traditional clothes for relatively cheap. So even if you don't come to Munich with these things, you can easily buy them on the spot. And, you know, when in Munich, why not? (laughs) Are you a fan, Sarah? I have never been. And I have to say, it doesn't really appeal to me. The idea of a, a crowded tent, being in a crowded tent, drinking loads of beer, listening to Schlager in Munich is not really that appealing. But <laughs> Rachel makes it sound, you, you, now I'm, I'm I'm starting to feel a little bit more tempted. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to like it. I thought that I was being kidnapped and schlepped over there. But <laughs> in the end, it was a pretty good time. At least once it's worth it. Thank you so much. Let's hear now from Christina Schoenberger, a brewing engineer from Bart Haas, which is the world's largest hop supplier to brewers and is based in Nuremberg in Bavaria. I started off by asking Christina how important beer and beer culture is to Germany. I think beer is a really integral part of German culture for many centuries, but also with a lot of huge changes. So where we are today, today we are, we still have a lot of family-owned middle-sized breweries in Germany, but we also have parts of big brewing companies that belong to ABI or Heineken. A big part of the family-owned breweries, they date back to, I would say, between 18 and 1900, where the possibility was given to um, basically in an industrial fashion to produce bottom fermented beers. That's where a lot of breweries opened up. We also had a brewery that opened up in 1835. So that was part of that. And then we also still have a couple of breweries that go back to the 10th or 11th or 12th century. 
from monasteries where you had a lot of monks uh, involved in brewing in a religious context. And also the beer styles, what we have today, it's basically mostly lager type beers or these are the beer styles in Germany. And then the wheat beer that is also very famous specifically in South Germany, that has an interesting story because wheat was also for a time forbidden as a raw material for brewing. So that is only for the last two or 300 years that uh, wheat beers uh, have become a part of the German beer culture before maybe 13 or 1400. Specifically, in Bavaria, wine was more important than beer. So oh, really? um, that's also something that a lot of people don't know, that the beer really made his way only yeah, 14, 1500, also together with the climate change back then, and then also with the possibility to, to brew and bottom fermented beers. So there's a lot of there were a lot of influences throughout the, the centuries that brought beer to the level of cultural importance that it has today. So a really long history. Yeah. Can you tell us about the Reinheitsgebot or the German purity law and why that was brought into force in the in the 16th century? Yeah, I mean there are also it's not only the one Reinheitsgebot from 1516 that everybody knows today. There are a couple of other, I would say, um, legal texts also from the 12th centuries and later on from different dukes and kings. And the Reinheitsgebot was mainly about securing the raw materials for beer production because back then wheat was mainly for, for bread and nutrition. So they wanted to make sure that uh, wheat stays for bread and nutrition and that only barley or barley malt is used for beer production. And also in addition to hops, um, in older times, other herbs were used. So a um, couple of herbs that also have a bit of a toxic effect. So the purity law really was a law to support the product quality of beer and also to protect the consumers from being intoxicated or being harmed by drinking beer. And it also, of course, relates to taxes, because on all the brewing materials, uh, also taxes had to be paid, um, and all the different cities and regions. Beer was a big consumer product that brought in a lot of money to the different areas. So that all goes into the purity law from 1516. And can you remind me, Christina, what are the ingredients of this purity law? It's hops, mm -hmm. water, what's the other one? Barley? Yeah, that's, that's all. it. Yeah, so yeah, back then they didn't know about yeast. So um, they couldn't really explain in the purity law how the alcohol actually develops. So that's why they only refer to the main ingredients and water. And it took a couple of hundred years to understand what the yeast is doing or what the microorganisms in general are doing in that process. That's why it's not included. Do you think there's still a place for the Reinheitsgebot today? Yeah, um, actually, I, I worked for the um, Brewers Association for a year. And it's um, a question that is always a part of my life somehow because I work for an international hops company and we sell different products. And a couple of these products are not uh, in accordance with the Reinheitsgebot or with the purity law as, as um, the Vorläufige Biergesetz says it is important now. Still, these hop products are 100% hop derived and natural, but still they cannot be used. So I think the idea of the purity law is great um, to use specific ingredients and make sure that the process follows certain um, aspects. 
I would like it better if it would be more open in terms of including other natural ingredients and also process-wise, because it is really detailed, the um, Vorläufige Biergesetz. It's a bit too strict for my personal view. Um, on the other hand, it's really good because then um, everybody can read the law and can be sure when he's drinking a beer that he purchased in Germany, he knows exactly what has happened and what hasn't happened. From beer and Bavaria's Oktoberfest, we slide effortlessly into regional food. Let's finish off today by talking about some interesting snacks from across Germany. Sarah, what do you want to tell us about? So I'm waving the flag for the amazing Spreewald pickles, which are from, unsurprisingly, Spreewald in Brandenburg. Mm. Um, and I'm mentioning these because they're just such a delicious, natural delicacy from this really magical little place not that far from Berlin. I mean, you, you do have to be a fan of pickles in the first place to appreciate them, but um, the ones that grow here in there in Spreewald are particularly crisp and tangy. And if you go to Spreewald, they're very proud of this local produce. You can find pickle ornaments, even pickle-flavoured lemonade, which is actually surprisingly quite tasty. Yeah, and even pickle ice cream, I did enjoy that, I must admit. Amazing. Rachel, what do you have for us? So I really liked the Guna Zosa or the green sauce that you can find in Frankfurt. And it's basically this flavorful sauce um, of sour cream, yogurt, fresh herbs, um, all combined together with a sort of creamy yet tangy consistency. And I am a vegetarian, so not able to try a lot of the German specialties, but I'm definitely not vegan. So I very much enjoy this sauce, the traditional way over potatoes or eggs. And it's also quite easy to make at home. That sounds delicious. Okay, guys, I actually have a special treat for you today. So I don't know if we can call this quite a regional delicacy, but I'm holding in my hand a tub of Nudossi which is basically was East Germany's answer to Nutella, the hazelnut spread from Italy. So during the separation of East and West Germany, there was a lot of products that you couldn't get in communist East Germany. And so in the 1970s, this new dossier came out. And basically after reunification, it, it was done away with. But then it was brought back due to demand, I guess, in, I think, 1999. So do you guys want to try it? Oh my God, yes, definitely. <laughs> I would love to. Okay, so you take a spoon. This is a, a live taste test. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, oh wow, it's so hot in here that it might have melted a little bit, but here you go, Sarah, you can take it. So it comes wow. in with like a red lid, so it's very kind of iconic. Wow, it smells the nut. It smells very strongly of nuts. Which yes, is, it's got thirty six percent hazelnuts. By the way, I'm not advertising this, even though it sounds, <laughs> even though it sounds like it. <laughs> Mm. Do you like it? It's really nice. Yeah, it's. I mean, it is very much like Nutella, but it's more not. It's like the nutty component yes. is, is stronger. It's richer. <laughs> Rachel, are you okay? It, did you spill it? <laughs> it's very messy. <laughs> I think we need to get a napkin in the booth. <laughs> we we do need a napkin, but, but it's very good. It's do very you like good. it? 
Yeah, you know, instead of one of these got milk campaigns or get milk campaigns, you should have a <laughs> get new dosi because I would be like that person with chocolate all over my face advertising it. Exactly. <laughs> well, you're you're doing it right. If you've got chocolate spread all over your face, that's, that's the way to enjoy it, <laughs> that's right? That's the sign of enjoyment. <laughs> exactly. But I do I do love some some of these kind of various foodstuffs that you see that used to be in East Germany, but now they're... Yeah, they've survived the reunification. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely going to buy this now. Oh, oh you've my sold God. me. I. I am. I. Apparently, I'm advertising it. Yeah, where <laughs> where can you get it, Rach? Just in any supermarket? Yeah, it's it's basically yeah, yeah. everywhere. I yeah, I actually wrote about it in a recent one of our weekend newsletters for our members. I was like researching it. So yeah, so that's just why I was like, I'm going to buy it and have it, and yeah, it's good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you told me. You're welcome. I hope that was a nice (laughs) pick-me-up. That's it for this week. A big thank you to all our listeners. As always, we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. It would really mean a lot to us if you hit follow, left a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you enjoyed it. This week's panelists have been Rachel Stern and Sarah McGill. Our guest was Christina Schoenberger and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back next week. Until then, take care. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.